Good morning. It's lovely to be here with you. Um, those of you who haven't met me, I mean, I've met most of you. Uh, my name's Matthew. Uh, it's lovely to be able to share with you from God's Word this morning. Uh, please grab a Bible if you haven't already. We're going to look at it. Um, you haven't got a Bible. I apologise. It's probably because my children stole them at the beginning of the service because there is a pile at the front row. So sorry about that. We won't judge you. If you judge me if you have to come and get one now. That's, that's fine. Um, please uh, pray with me as we uh, have a look at God's word together this morning. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've spoken to us in the scriptures. Please help us to be attentive this morning. Please help us to see and understand Jesus for who he is and all that he has to offer. And we pray that we'd see that clearly and learn to trust him more. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Jesus has uh, so much more to offer you than you realise or expect. Heaps more than you realise or expect. It's something that Jesus' disciples had to learn very, very painfully gradually as you read Mark's Gospel. They're working it out very slowly. Um, they kept underestimating Jesus' power to save people. They underestimated what he was capable of. But they also underestimated his compassion, his love. Jesus loves you more than you will ever know. And the disciples had to very slowly see that and come to realise that. Jesus has far more to offer you than you realise or expect. And that's what uh, they had to realise too. We're going to have a recap of Mark's Gospel because we're in Mark chapter 6. And... Um, a lot of the things that happen in Mark chapter 6 uh, make sense because of what happened beforehand. So let's, um, let's recap before and you, you'll get a, a sense of uh, the disciples' growing picture of who Jesus is. Turn this. I'm pressing buttons and it's not doing anything. Is that my window? <laughs> This um, computer is capable of significantly less than we know or expect. <laughs> that helps you remember. Yeah, great. The beginning of the gospel, there's this guy called John the Baptist, or John the Washer, that's what it means. Um, and uh, his job was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. He went and declared the kingdom of, of God and said, you better repent, join God's side and join his kingdom. And so he went about with that message and said, uh, after me, there's somebody coming who's way, way better and greater than I am. And in fact, I'm, I'm not worthy to bow down and untie his shoes. Uh, he'll have the Holy Spirit on him. And uh, he'll, he'll baptise in the power of the Holy Spirit. I just use water. I mean, we'll be. And so eventually Jesus comes along and John baptises him in the, in the river and the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and you hear the voice from heaven, God the Father, saying, this is my son, him I, I love, and him I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus and this is what our first Bible reading was about. In Isaiah chapter 11, you hear about there's a saviour coming and he'll be equipped with the Holy Spirit to bring about the kingdom of God the spirit of wisdom and truth and uh, all those things, knowledge and fear of the Lord, with righteousness he'll judge, he'll establish God's kingdom, basically is what it goes on to do. So Jesus has been equipped. This is the start of his mission, Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Immediately gets thrust out into the desert and he's tempted by Satan. Like every other human being in history, rebel against God, do it your own way, or Satan's way, in the end is what that means. Jesus refuses, perseveres in God's way, 
And immediately what you've got is God's kingdom versus Jesus' kingdom throughout Jesus' entire mission. Now, John the Baptist gets locked up pretty quick. Um, and once he got locked up, Jesus knew it's time to start the mission. He went out preaching pretty similar to what, what John did, except he said, the kingdom of God's come near, like really, really near now. Really near. Because Jesus, the preacher of the kingdom of God, with the power of God, is preaching the kingdom, not just the forerunner. Now, what happens in the early chapters of, of, of Mark, really quickly, is um, you learn, it emphasises over and over again, Jesus' authority, and it just baffles people. How does this guy do this? How does he have so much authority? And so you just quickly go through. So he calls disciples. How does he do it? He doesn't sort of beg people. He goes, you, you, and, and, and you, come follow me now. And they got up and they just followed him. And you go, how did he do that? Well, you just did it. And that's what happened. And they came and followed him. And then he started teaching in the synagogues and everybody was amazed. By what authority does he teach these things? He's got God's authority. Who teaches like this? Nobody's ever taught with this authority. And then there's demons around and they come near Jesus and Jesus says, be quiet and go away. And they do. And he has authority over demons. And people are going, how does this guy have authority over demons? And then sick people come near him and they come near him and he heals them. And people go, wow, he has authority over ill health and sickness and it flees his prisons and he heals people and then the, a paralytic man comes he gets, you know his fame spreading and people crowding around to get healed and hear what this message is and that kind of thing and it's so crowded they have to lower a man through the roof who's sick jesus heals him but he also says your sins are forgiven and the teachers of the law going only god has the authority to forgive sins jesus says no i, I have authority on earth to forgive sins he has all this authority from god the Sabbath, God's law, Jesus says he has authority to decide what is right and what's wrong on the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath, he claims. Where's all this authority come from? Jesus has God's authority on earth. And so Jesus' authority, early chapters of Mark, really big thing, but opposition starts to mount. You see, people don't like that. And those religious teachers go, you can't do that. You can't claim that. And they start, after the Sabbath thing, actually, they start plotting to kill him. Jesus appoints his own disciples, his special 12 apostles to be with him and to, we'll get to what their job is in a short little while, not, not really clear yet, but it isn't long before his own family start going, this guy, what happened to little Jesus? He, he's gone out of his mind, like he's crazy and, and they're rejecting him as well. So we start seeing people rejecting Jesus and Jesus starts putting a line in the sand, you're with him or against him. And the way he does it is with teaching parables, um, which we heard a few weeks ago. Basically, um, Jesus tells these stories about the kingdom of God, and they've got a hidden meaning. And the way to get to know the meaning is to come and ask Jesus about it. See, if I was to turn this microphone off and talk at this volume of voice, um, the only way you would be able to know my message and be blessed by it uh, is by coming and sitting in the first two rows. Uh, if you want to stay up the back, good for you, but you can't be blessed by what I'm talking about when the microphone's off. You have to come near and receive. So you have to make a choice. The, the line's over here. Come, come and draw near and be blessed by what I'm saying or stay far away and have, not have a clue. And that's what the, the, um, the, the uh, parables are all about. Jesus talks about, well, those of you who are near have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but those who are far off, well, they need to come near if they're going to get the secrets of God's kingdom. So let's pull some of those things together. Jesus is empowered with God's spirit. He taught God's word with authority. And you need to come close to him to hear it and to receive the blessings of the kingdom of God. It's like Jesus radiates the, the life of the kingdom of God, the life of the age to come, the life of heaven. He radiates it around. It's like a bubble of the kingdom of God is around him. That's why there's little yellow boxes, bubbles around 
Jesus here. Because it's like people come into his presence and sin and death and illness and demons and uh, flee away. And you get a, a glimpse, a foretaste of the kingdom of God here on earth, right in front of you. That's what's going on. It's, and because God's power is in Jesus and working through Jesus, sometimes really weird things happen. I mean, at the end of chapter 6, which we just heard, listen to the, like, just uh, a little detail. Wherever he went, he said, into villages, towns, countryside, they placed the sick on market, in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. It's, it's like he's just leaking the Holy Spirit's healing power. Just come, in, come close to Jesus to get the blessings of the kingdom of God. That sounds real simple, right? Come close to Jesus, trust in him, get the blessings of the kingdom of God. Well, it was pretty hard for the disciples. Um, they were out on a lake at the end of chapter 4 and they were terrified because uh, they were trained fishermen and they knew this storm was way more than they could handle. Um, and also life jackets weren't going to be invented for 1,900 years and so they were going to die. There's a fly going in my eye. That's, never had that happen while preaching before. <laughs> they realise uh, we're dead. Then they realise Jesus is sleeping below deck and they can't believe it. And they go down and they wake him up and, and they shout at him, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die here. And of course he cares because, you, you know, he's been helping people this whole time. And he gets up on deck and he says to the wind and the waves, Be quiet. And yes, he even has authority over nature and says, be quiet, and it stops and it's calm and they enjoy the safety of the kingdom of God in Jesus' presence there. And they go, who is this guy? And Jesus has a better question. When are you guys going to start trusting me? That's, that's the big question that's asked at the end of chapter 4. Now, it's a very important question because we see two different responses to Jesus all through these big the early chapters of Mark, all the way up to, well, up to chapter 8, really. What happens is, on the one hand, Jesus wants faith and belief. He says, just come and trust me. Just come and receive what I want to give to you. But on the other hand, what you see keeps happening is their responses are amazement, bewilderness, intrigue, terror... All these emotional reactions like, wow, amazing, scary, all this sort of stuff. You just, no, no, trust me. And these are the two opposites and it's one or the other and they keep being terrified and interested and amazed instead of trusting him. And because they don't trust him, well, they, they don't enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God. And so like, it just keeps happening. So there's this guy um, who has a legion, he's called legion because he's got an army of demons in him and they go over and Jesus says, demons go away and they go away. And he's healed. And he's notorious in the region, right? Everybody knows who he is. And then they see him and he's in his right mind. And what do the people do? They're terrified. Do they draw near to Jesus in faith and say, Jesus, we'll trust in you. It's amazing what you've done saving this guy. Save us too. No, they say, could you please leave our region, like immediately? They drive him away. They're amazed. They're terrified. They're not believing. They're not full of faith. Some people are, though. There's a woman who was very sick. She came near to Jesus she said, if I just touch his cloak, I'll be healed. She has faith. She comes near. She draws close to him to receive the blessings of the kingdom. God touches his cloak and she's healed. You see what's going on? Jairus, a, um, a, a ruler, which, no, this isn't working. I think we've lost the slide, if you could just click one. Um, there's a, uh, a man who has... Um, 
whose little daughter is dying and he's leading Jesus back to the house and he says, but before they get there, they hear, she's died already, leave the teacher alone. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, don't be afraid. Just the whole way there, don't be afraid, just trust me. Don't be amazed, don't be terrified, don't be full of anguish, just trust me. They get to the house, Jesus grabs the girl by the hand, says, get up and raises it to life. The blessings of the kingdom of God are there for all who come close to Jesus in faith. But it has to be the right kind of close. You see, you get to the beginning of chapter 6, which is what we're looking at today. We'll get to the part of the Bible I'm supposed to be preaching on eventually. Um, And Jesus comes back to his hometown of Nazareth. That's a problem because they know who he is and they've heard what he's done. It's not that they don't believe what he's done. They're going, wow, he's done miracles. That's, That's extraordinary. How does he do that? He's got this extraordinary teacher from God. They're struck by his authority. He teaches from God. How does he do that? And then they go, oh, wait, he's, oh, Jesus, he used to be the local carpenter. We know his brothers and his sisters and we're friends, we, we're, we're friends with him. This guy's got too big for his boots. And it's very strange, but they get offended by him because he can do miracles and because he preaches and is obviously from God. Human beings do all this, this all the time, though, don't we? It's, it's very easy to um, admire greatness from afar. You go, wow, that's, that's amazing. When it's somebody you know and they're in proximity to you and you, you feel like chopping them down a peg. It's, uh, we call it, call it tall poppy syndrome. It's not just Australian. It's as old as the human race. Um, but it's also the problem of familiarity breeding contempt. You heard that saying? We know this Jesus guy. How dare he do miracles and be from God? You know, it's, it's, it's really irrational when you say it out loud. And so Jesus reflects. Come to chapter 6, verse 4. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honour. We need to watch out for this attitude to all that we become familiar with uh, in church life, with, to do with Jesus, to do with the blessings of the gospel. I've got three things to, to consider in relation to this. Pastors, Bibles and Jesus. Um, how do you want to hear pastors? So, Joe and Dave. I'm giving you application about Joe and Dave. Um, they're two godly men who serve us faithfully here. Uh, they're both good preachers. They've both got a, a, a range of skills. Um, and they both uh, love you and want the best for you and they pray for you and are very, very interested in your spiritual welfare. Uh, it is very, very easy, and, and this is the sort of thing you go, why is he saying this? Is this really targeted? It's not targeted, it's in the passage. Um, it's worth thinking about, though, isn't it? Because it's in the passage. But what often happens for pastors is they go somewhere else and people go, wow, this guy's really good, he's got good things to offer, we love this. And then you come back to your own church and people go, oh, man, just this guy again. It's real common. Do you pray for your pastors? Is there no church where they receive the least honour? Again, not accusing you, but it's worth reflecting on occasionally. See, something I've, uh, yeah, I've noticed, and it's what's what Jesus says. Um, in, in Romans 13, we read, um, uh, give honour to whom honour is due. So we're told to honour our pastors in the Bible, so let's make sure we do that. Do you honour your Bibles? Jesus says prophets without honouring his hometown. Well, the, the Bible is the book of prophets. It's got all the prophets in it. What's your attitude to the Bible? Especially as you get to know it more. Do you read it? Do you believe it's God's word? Not just do you believe it's God's word, like, yeah, okay, it's God's word. 
Is it precious to you? Is it the anchor for your life and hope and dreams and aspirations and everything for now and for eternity? Do you treat it as if it really is the source of knowing God's mind and purpose for your life? Do you honour the scriptures that God's given us, the Bible? Do you honour Jesus? Is Jesus just your best friend? Sometimes, um, like, evangelical, low-church types like us, if those words make sense to you, um, have a, a tendency to make Jesus more like us, to seem like he's more on our level. Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my best mate. Yeah, okay. So long as you don't forget he's also, you know, your Lord and your Master and the King of the Universe. That's, that's, just keep that in mind, okay? That's it's pretty important. We need to be very careful not to reduce Jesus to over-familiar, comfortable terms. Do you want a Jesus? Or have you grown over-familiar in an unhealthy way? There's a good kind of familiarity, isn't there? A, um, a humble, worshipping familiarity. Then there's the one that's, well, it leads to contempt. Listen to what Jesus said, uh, what, uh, what, what the text says about what happened in verse 5. It says, Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. You go, you mean Jesus couldn't heal people? He couldn't heal people because they wouldn't trust him? Well, in a way, of course, Jesus can heal people. But what have we heard already? How do you get the blessings of the kingdom of God? You come close to Jesus in faith, draw close to him and receive it in faith. They had no faith. And so Jesus gave out very little blessing of the kingdom of God in his hometown because, well, they thought they knew him. We've heard a lot about Jesus' authority. Jesus shared his authority. Jesus says to the 12, go out in pairs. You're going to go to all the surrounding villages. This is north of, um, north of Israel, so they've got a mission to basically cover all the villages in the north of Israel. probably took about nine months. Um, and so he commissions them and says, you've got my authority. Go preach the kingdom of God. Go drive out demons and, and just spread the message about me, basically. And he gives them some very specific instructions. Um, Come, come down to chapter 6, verse um, 8. Just while you're looking at I'll keep taking off layers. <laughs> it's not that kind of show. Oh, gosh. Um, moving right along, chapter 6, verse 7. Calling the 12 to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money for your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there till you leave the town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. What's going on there? Why are they supposed to take so much, so, so little stuff for a big mission? Well, partly because they're supposed to trust in God, which is what they're trying to learn. But it's also um, alluding back to when um, the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel left Egypt and the first Passover happened, God said to them, have a staff, have your sandals, clothes on your back, eat your meal and leave. That's how it's supposed to leave. And these guys are going out preaching about the new Exodus, which the prophet Isaiah talked about quite a lot, which is basically, you think the old Exodus was good, you know, when you got out of slavery? Well, the new Exodus is getting away from sin, slavery, uh, slavery to sin and death into God's kingdom. So they're going out preaching the new exodus into God's kingdom. And so they went out and they drove out demons and, and, and all the rest of it. 
This is an old-fashioned movie because um, it's got an intermission. Um, we heard about John the Baptist. We left him in jail in chapter 1. It just mentions when John the Baptist went into jail, Jesus went about preaching the kingdom of God. What happened to John the Baptist? Well, we've got this intermission bit here where they've got the, the 12 have gone out to preach the gospel and then we hear about what happened to John the Baptist. Why? Well, he was arrested by Herod um, very early on, put in jail. And the reason we're hearing about it here is Herod's hearing about all this stuff and he's, oh, all this stuff about Jesus, that must be John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And you go, oh, John the Baptist is dead. Okay, what happened there? Well, what happened is that bit we didn't read uh, in the, um, the, the bit of the passage that we skipped. Basically, Herod had a dinner party with, you know, all these rich, fancy guests. Uh, and his stepdaughter, his daughter, I don't know exactly the relation, his daughter of some type, um, did a dance for him and the guests, so I assume of the fairly provocative sort, because it impressed them an awful lot. And uh, these drunken old men uh, were pretty impressed, and um, Herod said, well, you know what, that was so good, I'll give you a prize, you can have whatever you want, whatever you ask for, up to half the kingdom. And she goes, oh, that's pretty good. And she goes out of the room and she asks her stepmom, well, what, what should I ask for? And stepmom's got a big grudge against John the Baptist. He doesn't like what John the Baptist preaches at all. So she says, go ask for his head on a plate. Goes back, asks for John the Baptist's head on a plate, and that's what happened. Remember, why, why is this being brought up here? Well, remember, John the Baptist prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. If the kingdom of God is a meal, John the Baptist is the entree. That's why his head's on a plate. That's why he called Jesus the Lamb of God. And that's why the apostles are going out, being the waiters, telling... Anyway, if the picture helps you, it helps you, that's fine. But John the Baptist's job is to prepare the way for Jesus. He does it in more than one way. He prepares Israel for it, but he also foreshadows here what's going to happen to Jesus. Remember, John the Baptist is the original missionary of the kingdom of God. What happened to him? He got unjustly killed. I wonder if Jesus is going to be unjustly killed soon. Maybe. I wonder if the disciples who are out on mission right now are going to be killed for their faith and for spreading the gospel as well. See, there's this rising resentment about everything to do with the kingdom of God. The apostles come back. They tell Jesus all about what they've done. It's all very successful. It's all very, very good. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but uh, many who saw them uh, leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The disciples were pretty exhausted and understandably so after their big mission. And so Jesus took them to, you know, let's have a rest. But the problem was they were too successful. Um, the village is just emptied and people came from everywhere to find this Jesus character that they were all talking about. And so they followed them back to Jesus, it seems, and there's a massive, massive crowd and Jesus sees them and he's not put out by them. He loves them because he saw how needy they were. See, Jesus loves us. He loved them. He loves you. 
And he wants to share the blessings of the kingdom of God and eternal life with you. And so he had compassion on them and started teaching them about the kingdom of God. Eventually, the disciples um, got tired of this. They were tired and hungry. And they interrupted at some point. Verse 35, it says, um, By this time it was a little late in the day, his disciples came to him. They said, This is a remote place. Uh, It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight, mans of a month, eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus has more to offer than his disciples expect or realise. And they should realise that by now. They should have learnt to trust him by now. But they don't. And so he gets the five loaves and two fish that they have. And he starts handing it out, or giving the disciples to hand out, and they keep handing it out, and they keep handing it out until everybody's fed. Because in Jesus' hands, food is just abundance. But you notice there wasn't enough for everybody. There wasn't enough for everybody. It says, have a look down in um, verse 42. It says, they all ate and were satisfied... And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and bread and fish. Jesus has an over-catering problem. Does Jesus have enough? No, he's got way too much. He has way more than you expect or realise. Can Jesus solve this problem? Uh, Yeah, and some. (laughs) It's always yeah, and some. It's always yeah, and a lot. Jesus has an overabundance. They all ate and he was satisfied. And by the way, there's too much left over to carry home. Jesus has way more than we expect or realise. Have they learnt yet? Have they started trusting him? Well, no. Jesus sends them on a boat, and it's a very familiar scene at this point. They're on the lake. It's not as terrifying as before. There's not a big storm, but, you know, the wind's pretty strong, and they, they can't row to the shore. In the middle of the night, they're still rowing, and they're exhausted. They're in the middle of the lake, and they, they don't know what to do. And Jesus is on the lakeside watching them. Have a look at verse 47. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out out to them, walking on the lake. We've been here before, except last time Jesus was in the boat, so they can go wake him up and say, help out, please. Um, Now Jesus is away. Can Jesus handle this? Well, yeah, he just walked out to them on the lake and walked up to them. And they should know by now he's capable of just taking care of business. He's got the power of the kingdom of God with him. But what happens when they see him? Do they place their faith in him? Do they say, Jesus, come close so you can help us out? Read what they do. Verse 49, they saw him walking on the lake. They thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid. Stop being amazed. Stop being mesmerised by, by things I can do. I can do more than you think, okay? Just trust me to do it for you. He climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves uh, for their hearts were hardened. Why does it say they hadn't understood about the loaves? Because he's done the water thing before, Right? He calmed the storm. You should think they didn't take it on board the first time he stopped the storm. But it doesn't say that. It says 
they don't understand about the loaves. Well, what they should have understood is Jesus was overqualified to fix that problem and he's overqualified to fix this one too. It's not just that God can, uh, Jesus can solve any problem. It's that Jesus can make any problem look like it's really, really small and easy from his perspective to fix. He just walks on the water up to them, just gets on the boat, the sea goes calm. Hey guys, when are you going to start trusting me? That's the real question, isn't it? When are you going to start trusting me? When are you going to start calling on me to draw near to you? When are you going to come close to me and just receive the blessings of the kingdom of God? Because Jesus' provision is limitless. He loves us and he wants to share the blessings of the kingdom of God with us. Now, there's a bunch of responses to Jesus in this passage, aren't there? You can do what his family did and be, you know, acknowledge the truth of it. You know, Jesus is real. Jesus did miracles, impressive stuff. Jesus talked about God's kingdom, but uh, let's leave it there. I just believe it. That's not good enough. You see, unless you actually believe in Jesus for yourself, trust in him by yourself, come close to him and say, Jesus, I want what you have to offer, you will not share in the kingdom of God. You need to come close to Jesus. You can't stand back in amazement or scared or intrigued or terrified. You need to come close and say, Jesus, I'll take everything you have to offer me. And you'll find when you do that, that he has way, way more to give than you ever expected or realised. It's very, very good news. Will you join me as I pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you didn't just stay far off, but you sent your Son into the world to speak with authority about your kingdom and to put it on display in his actions and have these foretastes of what the the, the real feast of the kingdom of God will be like. Thank you that Jesus has an overabundance of blessing to share, that he is more than fit to meet our needs. Uh, now and for eternity. Please help us to trust in him. Please help us not to become uh, complacent or contemptuous towards him or to dishonour him in the way that we regard him. Please help us not to, on the other hand, be so amazed or terrified or just interested (laughs) in a way that stops us coming close and putting our faith in him. And we ask it in his name. Amen.